0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Thursday. September fifth in Dixon, California, at Cuyu headquarters. There's going to be a live questions and answers seminar with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Come on down if you'd like to be involved. The doors open at five. Questions and answers seminar starts at six thirty. Hope to see everybody there and have a great day. We are outdoors, yep, in beautiful Santa Barbara, California, right now. Right now, and I, was, I just, yeah, I just came from. Winchester, California, where we were, and we're live, where we were uh, gearing up and getting ready for some hunts, but that's besides the point,
1: right? Yep. Just it's a beautiful day here. <laughs> <laughs> enjoying enjoying the weather. Yeah. Got a little breeze going all day. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's not bad. It's a beautiful spot, man. We just had some spicy chicken tacos
1: yeah and it's california california is a is is a California's a strange place yeah it's gorgeous they kind of yeah. got you hostage you yeah. know i like i grew up here so i'm born and raised santa barbara so yeah. it's like the ocean i gotta be by the ocean you get me away from right. the ocean for too long i i'm like kind of get i yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a diver you know i yeah. gotta have the seawater. so yeah i mean h- half the time i want to be in the middle of nowhere in like montana yeah you know you know in the snow or something like that yeah and then the other time i need i need to be around the ocean so i'm kind of i'm kind of stuck in california um, but there's 50 states so there's always an out Cause, somewhere yeah cuz in my industry people always go they go wow how do you do it in california right. I go, okay there's always ways to do people things people
0: always ask me that too they're yeah. like how do you stay in california you know, and, and I always tell people, and this is something that you and I have talked about yeah. years and years and years ago, when we first met yeah. and, and started hunting together, was uh, California's still the Wild West. Yes. It's the Wild West. Absolutely. And I don't feel, there's no other place in the nation where it's the
1: Wild West, like California is the Wild West. Yeah, it, it never left this place. It was called the Wild West. And even though there's all this stuff and people have this image of California that the image that they've got is, is It's really localized in a certain area and the rest of California is is wild Yeah, people people they're not they're not what you think they are yeah. So there's this wild west attitude in California, yeah. which is which is really cool,
0: but it's like a modern wild west
1: Yeah, it's a modern wild west. Yeah, so yeah the, the, Everything is strange now. It's uh, yeah, and everybody
0: comes to California for the money
1: yes everybody wants the California yeah. money. yeah a lot of people are reliant upon the California economy it's huge I mean one in nine people at one one in ten whatever resides in California or something the it's insane how many people are here like when you fly an airplane when you fly out of like California you're leaving you fly over Los Angeles and there's just a sea of houses forever like you can't believe you're thinking there's a person or families under every roof, it's like, how can they possibly maintain control of this madness? Yeah. How can you possibly do it? Right. Then you leave that, and then for hours, you're flying over a complete nothing. empty, nothing. <laughs> like you're seeing the Snake River, and you're like, oh my God, evil can evil try to jump that bitch back yeah. in the day, <laughs> dude, you know what I mean? But you're like, whoa, that's a Snake River, and there's not a house in sight. Yeah. It's crazy, the United States, and that's the beauty of it. There's, It's so vast and expansive. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah, very, very cool country we live in. Yeah. I totally love America. Even to this day, I'm still like hardcore. Yeah, really, really love it.
0: So aside from our environment, yeah, right. what makes it difficult for you to leave California? Because I know what makes it difficult for me to leave California. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy the fight. I enjoy staying in it and,
1: and not giving up. You know I, there, there, there's kind of like, yeah, there's kind of a pleasure in being like frontline. Yeah, going against the, going against the system, so to speak, just like being one of the people that is, is like a, no, you're not above it. You're yeah. not above it, but you're like you' you're almost on the outside looking in kind of, but there, but it, it's more common than that. There's a lot of people that are like that in the state. but it's yeah, it, there's, there's kind of a um, there's kind of a, a sense of adventure. So everything is, um, it's kind of like the forbidden fruit thing. Yeah. You know, we kind of, there's always, you always have that kind of that nervous, um, nervous energy going here. It's just, it's, uh, it's exciting. (laughs) It's an exciting state. The weather's beautiful. Um, And I'm from here. So it's hard to leave your home. I mean, I lived in Alaska for a while. I tried Alaska and Alaska was... Mm, just it didn't really do it for me yeah alaska they say it's the last frontier and that that's a fact it is truly the last frontier And alaska which is funny is it's it's uh one of the things was like you are what you say you are like you go to a barber shop in alaska you're going to assume the guy like knows how to cut hair right there's no guarantee he could be a total butcher or a hack (laughs) so Alaska nobody like questions what you say I could show up at the airport with a toolbox full of wrenches and go I'm an airplane mechanic and if I would get you ten I'll have a job in you know half an hour you know I mean mean, it's not that bad but it almost seems that way so Alaska has there's a strangeness to it where like in California um, yeah you really got to be on your game Mm -hmm. to make it here you really got to be on top of stuff to make it but Alaska was cool, but I couldn't. I missed the ocean and, and getting in, and diving and stuff in the ocean. So I just eventually came back. But I, but Alaska was beautiful. But so, Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are. I mean,
0: obviously we've figured out you're born and raised Santa Barbara, yep. Southern California. Uh,
1: so why don't you go into a little bit about yourself? Okay, I was. Uh, I'm one of six children. My father is a. Uh, Ukrainian immigrant World War two so basically uh, the Ukraine was the Germans and the Russians were basically tearing Ukraine apart so his family became displaced persons which basically they didn't have a home their homes gone so my father um, came to Lompoc California from over in the Ukraine so he emigrated the United States and They gave him a different name, so his his real name's Yurko, so they said, okay, your name's George, okay, so it's it's George. So that that was my father, so uh, basically I'm one of six kids, and we all grew up in in Santa Barbara, and my parents were, there was no television ever in the house, Mm -hmm. so that was one of the things. We didn't grow up with TV, which was good, and then my parents just... We would just read a lot and stuff like that.
0: Was that weird for you growing up in a household with no TV and you'd go to
1: school and talk to other kids with TV? Yes, it was weird. Like, I knew as a kid every, like, character in, like, Dukes of Hazard, But uh-huh. I've never seen the show. Star Wars. Didn't see the movie when it came out in 76 or 74 or whatever, Star Wars. So I knew about C-3PO and all the stuff, but I'd never seen the movie. Yeah. So I wouldn't tell the other kids I never saw the movie. they go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember when Obi-Wan did one. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't until Fear later that I saw these shows. Yeah. So it's funny. Like, I saw Star Trek, the old Star Trek, for the first time, probably maybe 20 years old. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, because you're looking at it through completely different eyes. So a lot of the shows, like Dukes of Hazard or something, I saw it, like, in the Army. Yeah. Like a rerun on you know a TV, like okay that's Duke's Hazard, oh that's Daisy Duke, whatever you know what I mean? Yeah. So now to say we're a completely isolated TV, no, there's so much TV when you're growing up that you're gonna catch pieces of it. You go to a friend's house to sleep over, you might see something like that. Yeah. It's not you're completely away from it, but it, we definitely didn't have a TV. Yeah. So it was it was it was kind of cool growing up that way. I thank my parents for it. Yeah. To this day, I'm like yeah that was good for us. Yeah. You know. 'Cause all of us kids, all six are we completely different. I mean talking completely different. It's mm-hmm. crazy. We all have different views. My parents never talked politics ever. Mm-hmm. So we all have completely different like political views.
0: You all came to your own conclusions. Okay, about life.
1: Yes. My brother, my oldest brother is a philosophy professor. Can you believe it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like total military gun guy. Yeah. Completely opposite. Yeah. so we just yeah
0: totally opposite you know you and your brother probably have some interesting conversations you know don't what talk at all
1: no we keep it peaceable oh no way we, we keep peaceable oh, there, was, okay. there was a couple times i got kind of heated and then you get old you're like oh what's who, who cares yeah you're not going to change anybody's Let's mind talk
0: about something else yeah. yeah so
1: we both we both like bicycles yeah uh so we Every, you know, a couple times a year, we'll go on these like you know, hundred mile rides. Whatever you do, some bikes. crazy
0: bike rides. I've seen I, you do some crazy bike rides. Yeah, I do
1: bike rides. I, I'm into the bicycle. Yeah. Um, my whole life, I've always been into bikes. Yeah. Even as a kid, a, a bike was an, an important thing. It's like they say the bicycle represents freedom. Absolutely. We didn't have cars and stuff, kids. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bicycle was your to get around.
0: Mode of transportation. Yeah,
1: So from very young age my whole family was basically into the bicycle. So we share the bicycle thing. So even though politically we're completely, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter because we can enjoy a bike ride together and whoop they do. He's not trying to change my mind. I'm not trying to change his. I don't, yeah. It, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. That's but that comes being. from being older too. You can't get yeah. mad. I used to get fired up. You know, I'm, I'm very pro-gun. I believe that the gun is so important to the country that, that, that we have the right to bear arms and when they made when they when they framed you know the bill of rights and everything and, and and when they wrote the amendments they knew what they were doing they were so smart and they knew why they were And doing they knew why it. they were doing it they just came because from because they were coming straight you, out of it coming straight out of it and they knew okay the this necessity yeah this shit has to change to make this whatever so I'm a super firm believer in it but if you don't have the same views I do I used to get mad now I don't get so mad yeah you know I try to see their point of view I don't agree with it but it's like It is what it is, you know what I mean? So it's a tough slog, but I I think I'm more realistic about it nowadays about the the, the gun stuff, you know? Yeah. And what I do for a living. I think I have a a little bit more realistic look of it now.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, and and you said you're military, right? Yes. So you you grew up, no TV. Yeah. You know, school, grade school, high school, all that kind of stuff.
1: How old were you when you decided to join the army? That's funny, because when I was a kid, I wanted to be an oceanographer. So I had all yeah. all the books for oceanography and this stuff. Probably a bunch of my
0: uncle's books.
1: Yeah, 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 total oceanography books. And I was, like, thinking, okay, you know, I was young. I'm like, man, Woods Hole, Massachusetts, you could study, you could be an oceanographer. And I had, you know, I had, had a book called The Denizens of the Deep. It was an awesome book. And had all the deep-sea creatures, and they had submersibles, you know, the Trieste, all these submarines. I was fascinated with the ocean oceanography and I think I was maybe in junior high and I go into the library and there's a time life series on Vietnam yeah and I'm looking at it and I see the guys with the camouflage and the car 15s and just the madness of them. I'm like whoa no that's what I want to do yeah. that's me yeah. you know I want to be in the I want to be in the jungle with a damn machine gun <laughs> you know so I was like yeah that and then it completely from then on it completely went full-blown no, military. Yeah. Let, let's do the military thing. So it, was, it, was, it didn't take long. I was like, whoa, that's me. That's more me. Yeah. You know? Totally. So when you went, you were, how old were you when you went in? Okay, so I joined when I was 17 in the delayed entry program. So basically what that means is your parents, you do like a promissory thing. When I turn 18, I'm going to show up at the Army. That, that, that way the recruiter gets you when you're nice and young. You know, they, yeah. and uh, which is an interesting point. I'll talk about that, about being young and how that's important. So anyway, so I was like 17 years old and I joined and my parents were totally cool with it. My mom, she's totally funny. She said, why don't you join like the French foreign legion? Like, what, where did that come from? Yeah, so That's what my mom thought was cool. She said, be a legionnaire. So <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm gonna join the army. So I went to the army recruiter And they all tried to sell me on there or whatever, but I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy in the jungle with the stuff. So I signed up to, uh, (laughs) yeah. So I signed up, which would, uh, I forget what it was called. I think it was, I think it was 11 X-ray or something like that, or it had some sort of suffix on the 11 to where you basically go to basic training infantry, then you go to airborne school, then after airborne school, you go to RIP and then you do that. So I signed up for that. Were we at war? With no, anything? no, no. Was there
0: anything going on? No, at the this is funny.
1: The, the previous, the, the stuff that happened before me was Grenada, which was just like, you know, 24 hour conflict, or whatever. But the stuff before was all Vietnam still. Mm-hmm. So I had this like, this notion of like this Vietnam thing. For some reason, it was just, it was so cool to me. So, like in the surplus stores back before I joined, this would have been like 1985 86. There was a bunch of leftover equipment, Vietnam equipment, so you got to see the jungle fatigues and the jungle boots and everything. So it had like a really cool, uh, it was like a, hard to explain, but it was just, that was like the notion of the military to me was going to be wearing the camouflage, doing this, and and going out. So basically, I signed up like a year before, and then on the morning I left for the Army, it was like 3 a.m., and I had my driver's license and my toothbrush, and that was it. I was, you know what I mean, just going to go join I mean, the Army. And that's where you were at. That's where I was at. I'm in the Army, driver's license and a toothbrush, sold my BMX bike, sold my skateboard. I basically just, there was nothing left at the house for me to come back to. Yeah. I was joining the military. So it was about 3 a.m., and, and my mom, I get up to leave to get picked up by the uh, Army recruiter to go down. And my mom comes out, and she hugs me, and then that was it. And went off and uh, was in the Army. And that was was really cool. So I was in Santa Barbara, California, and my join date was June 28th. And so I'm in totally nice California weather, and I show up in Georgia, Fort Benning, Georgia, at like 2 a.m. And I get off the airplane, and the heat at 2 a.m. was so oppressive, I couldn't even, like, I was like, what? Like, this is for real. (laughs) The humidity and the heat at like 2 a.m., Literally, it almost takes your breath away. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, whoa. So they put us in a barracks, and they were, they're were they smart about it. They said everybody's just going to basically stay here for two days and drink water for two days straight before you do anything to get acclimatized. And you got to remember we're kids. We're 17-year-old, well, I mean 18-year-old kids. Yeah. You, your body acclimatizes in seconds. You know mm. what I mean? You're yeah. ready to go. You're ready to go. In two days, you go to the, the most hostile place on the planet. Within mm-hmm. two days, when you're young and you're strong, two days you're ready to rock. You can go to altitude when you're young. Mm-hmm. You take a, take some kid from sea level to twenty thousand, you know, ten thousand feet, whatever, in a mountain. Yeah. When you're young and you're strong, a couple of days later, you're ready to go. But anyway, so that was that was my first dose of the military, and then I I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good time in the military. Basic training was fun. It wasn't like hard or anything. Yeah. And then um, yeah. So that was kind of the the start of it. And I think it was it was everything that I expected. I I suppose. It was. Um, it definitely. It wasn't a disappointment. I felt that, yeah, they, they delivered what I my image of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and how far did you go? Did you become Army Rangers or? I, I went to yeah, uh, the eleven X-ray went mm-hmm. to to Ranger Battalion. Then um, I stayed in like eleven years. So I had I had like two or three jobs, and then the very last i was in the army just like the past Ooh, i'd say two years maybe i ended up being in alaska yeah and i was i after about eight years or so i was pretty burned out i was pretty burned out i wanted to me the army was all about the helicopters and the guns and whatever well you At, saw action while you were in there yeah but not not yeah. really yeah. you know it's that's that's a whole nother thing that's yeah, yeah the gulf war is that yeah, yeah not much not much happened there so basically um, yeah so after being in the army for a while I was like you know what I'm I think I want to get out you know I'm 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 done I didn't want to make it a career yeah and the reason I did not want to make it a career is to me the military always has a ceiling like I can tell you right now that in 3 years I'll be making this much money or I'll be in this position there's like this, there's always like a ceiling there's never you can never really do really follow your dreams or go as far as you want you're confined you can look at a piece of paper and say this is what I get paid and this is what everybody else on this base with Mm -hmm. the same stuff on their sleeve gets paid and in two years I'm only gonna be paid this much whatever. so that kind of bothered me when I was young and there was adventure I was cool with it but as I got older I said you know what I want to do my own thing I want to be my own business I had aspirations that the military I knew wouldn't give me. Yeah. So I told the guys, I'm like, you know what, I'm getting burned out. And they're like, you're, you're a good soldier, Bobo, you're a good soldier. So I ended up going to Alaska. And it was, it was, I basically said, where do you want to go? It was, a, it was a great duty station. And it had the opposite effect of what the Army wanted. When I got to Alaska, I ended up really not doing much. And then it really hit home that I'm like, you know what, I'm done. They thought it would like re- rejuvenate me, and I was like, nah. I'm done. I'm gonna go do my own business and stuff like that. I, so, my business that I'm doing now, I had the logo, the name, even designs done years before I got out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'd be drawing. You're ready to go. I was ready to go. I had designs drawn. I had the logo that you see on my products. I had I drew that uh, at night in, in a barracks room. Yeah. Yeah. I, drew, I already had it figured out.
0: So, how did you go, or how did you get the idea? of starting your company and, and coming up
1: with where you wanted to go with it and what you wanted to do. What is what is your company? It's, it's Boba Engineering, and we design weapon stuff. And it's the predominantly military-geared things. So when I was in the military, we had the military gear, and you're, you go, okay, I, you know, I can definitely improve this or this. Or you see shortcomings. But I was just so into it. I mean, so into the, the weapons aspect of it and stuff like that. So I said, I want to design stuff that one day maybe the military will purchase or just, so I always had these ideas for for making stuff. So I would would do designs, um, had a bipod, I had some other really neat designs for different things, um, like uh, hand guards, I have a prototype hand guard I made in my barracks room, I still have it, (laughs) with a hacksaw basically, I did a prototype hand guard for the M16 to hold like dual lights that had electronic connections. Mm-hmm. way before you saw it. I had that stuff. I still have it in the shop, but of course you're in the military, so you're not you getting stuff patented or whatever. That's besides the point, but I was just um, always always working on those ideas, but I had been in for like 11 years, whatever, and it was, it was time to go. So I ETS and I said, okay, I'm out of here. So I, I left the military, which brings me up to the point while we're still in the military, You always hear people say like oh my god i can't believe it we send our kids to war we're sending children to war they're like 18 years old you know what that's the kind of people that you have to have fight your wars because 30 year old people ain't gonna do it you gotta be a kid and crazy and don't give a shit Mm -hmm. and 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 not afraid to catch a bullet that's why kids fight wars Mm -hmm. and that's why grown men you know 40 whatever that's the difference and that's why that is, yeah. because I've always heard that in the army, like, I can't believe that, you know, wh- wow, it's just, you look around, and you go, wow, they're just a bunch of children. Yeah, that's who fights wars, kids. They're the most psyched on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I never, I don't recall, like, ever, like, thinking really about my own mortality. It never really crosses your mind. Yeah, I mean, you can be nervous or something, you got some ridiculous parachute jump you gotta do at night, and you're like, okay, they got winds on the drop zone, I stand a good chance of, like, really getting smacked on a rock but as, as far as it goes there there's no real like there's no real fear past that you know you, or you didn't dwell on stuff and i think if you did either you wouldn't join in the first place or you would you would just leave it but yeah just interesting how it's it was fun it was a lot of fun met a lot of a lot of cool guys a lot of wild and crazy guys <laughs> and uh yeah like guys like whoa You know, I talked to a couple. Still, we're still in contact. Yeah, I'm still in contact with the craziest guy. In my whole army experience, so I'm not gonna even say his name. But anyway, (laughs) he's he was truly, truly, wow. He's nuts. Not like he was on it. He was on it. Yeah. Really, like no fear. Yeah. If he had it, it didn't show. But he was he was so capable. You know. So you meet guys like that. You know. You know, there's guys out there. Because you've met them, who are totally capable guys. Mm-hmm. Bombs can be going off, and this guy's going to like be able to do a crossword puzzle, getting shot at. They're so on top of stuff, and it's it's like it's cool that you know people like that. You're like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like I know this guy. You know, there's guys out there like that. Yeah. So, anyway, that's kind of the the army story. So. So you got out of Alaska and you came back. Got it? Yeah, I st- I actually stayed in Alaska. I oh, said, okay. You know what? I'm gonna. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna live here. Screw it. So basically what I did is before I got out of the army, I had like maybe two months before I ETS'd I went and found a job. You know, so I had a job the day I left the army. So I wanted to make a company making gun stuff. So I went to a machine shop called Alaska Tool. And I went to Pete, Pete Trotyer, cool guy. Pete's listening.
0: Yeah.
1: I still think about you, you're cool, Pete. My first boss, beside my basically my first real boss besides like the army. And uh He ran a a machine shop called Alaska Tool, and Pete's a gun guy, and he's cool. So I kind of learned how to machine kind of from Pete, but it wasn't CNC. It was pure manual machines, and Pete... uh, What a grind. Yeah, it was a grind, and Alaska's got its own... Wow, I could do a whole crazy stories about Alaska. That place is nuts, but yeah, anyway, yeah. (laughs) So I worked with Pete, and I kind of got my, my... cut my teeth on it but the problem with Alaska is Alaska is very very expensive to live there gas is expensive which is a joke you're pumping gas it's some outrageous amount of money and you can look and see the Alaska pipeline pumping you know gas 50 feet from the gas station you're like what you know what I mean yeah so and, and milk's expensive rents expensive you yeah. think it's cheap up there it's not So I had got out of the army and I wasn't getting paid that much at the machine shop. And I said, you know what, this is kind of, this is kind of dead end, but it was was a means to an end too, because I want to start my own business. And I said, I can't really start it in Alaska because you just won't have the money. I have to get a machine, I have to get a building and whatever. So that went on for a while. And I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going home. I said, Pete, you know, I'll give you my two weeks notice. He was sad to see me go. So I had a 1970 Toyota Land Cruiser, FJ40. Three on the floor. Oh, my God. I filled it with all my stuff. Toolbox, guns, ammo, everything. And, uh, yeah, like packs and packs of Marlboro cigarettes. And I drove from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, to Santa Barbara, basically straight. All down the Alcan, everything. Yeah. And I was so tired. There's huge sections of it. You'd have to put me under hypnosis for the memories to come back. It's only in little bits and pieces. Like, staying, uh, eating at a Canadian restaurant. Like some super, like a dive Canadian restaurant. I remember the plates in Silverware were like really nice. Like, what? It was like weird. You know what I mean? So I just, I basically chain smoked Marlboro Reds and that's how you stay awake. You just chain smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And your eyes are burning and whatever. I just chain smoked Reds from Seward to Santa Barbara. And, uh, that was a brutal, brutal drive. And the Toyota Land Cruiser was so full and so heavy that the shock absorbers were totally shot. So all I was rotting on was basically the leaf springs. So every movement, the thing was swaying like a like a damn Spanish galleon yeah. in a storm. You know what I mean? So the thing's just <clears throat> oscillating. So I, I came back down to Santa Barbara and uh, started doing the business. And that's, uh, yeah, and that, that was a... Cool kind of chapter there coming back, you know, coming back down to Santa Barbara. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to stay and I'm going to start doing this stuff.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, how'd you build Bubro Engineering? That's okay. That's when I tell people that people always go, hey, how'd you start it, whatever. And I always tell them this I said, I started with help, I didn't do it all by myself. So, my parents have a house in Santa Barbara. And in the backyard, my dad had built like a 900 square foot shop because he's always making stuff, furniture, stuff like that. So there was a separate building in the backyard with 220 volt power, 900 square foot building in the backyard. So I come back and I wasn't being charged rent and I was single. I wasn't married, didn't have to pay for kids or anything like that. So I didn't pay rent and I could go every day and I stayed at my, I lived at my parents house. Didn't even have a bed, just slept on the floor, didn't even care wasn't even a bed in the room, just slept on the floor with a pile of clothes for a pillow, and I would work so many hours a day, so many pots of coffee, but I was young and, and totally determined, and I would go into the backyard, and what I had done is I had some money saved from the Army, and I bought a Bridgeport machine down in L.A. Which, that's a funny story, too. It's like, uh, I'm not like a paranoid guy, but when you go some areas, you have a gun on you. Now, of course, this was, you know, 20 years ago or something like that but the place was so sketch I got it I had my Sig Sauer 226 in my pants Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I was like it was that bad believe me like you needed a gun (laughs) (laughs) you know for real you know what I mean so I I went I went with my dad drove down there and bought the machine at this super big dirty warehouse where they had just and my machine was uh, it wasn't even the serial numbers on all the parts were mismatched so it was a cobbled together machine the cheapest one there so I bought that machine and we it was their 2000 pound machine so we basically broke it into like four pieces took it back to the house and put it up and that was my machine so i wasn't paying rent and the i wasn't buying the coffee either so basically that is the support that i had i had no expenses past me buying material and my time and that is the only way it would have happened it could never have happened if i would have taken a business loan or anything that if, if you start from scratch and you get like a business loan that's why they don't give them out because you can't pay them back there's no way i could have paid it back yeah. because i'm learning as i go you're like oh wow it takes it takes a long long time and the learning curve is like super steep like ridiculously steep so one day i like the first day i couldn't even hardly turn the machine on by day five i'm making stuff because you just you just keep pounding at it until mm-hmm. you can do it So that's how I started. I just started making stuff basically on the machine. And then I would call companies and stuff and say, hey, do you want to buy it and whatever. And uh, that took a while. And I was also doing stuff for, there was companies who were doing laser technology in town. So what I did was I would design stuff for their companies. So they, somehow they, I don't know, it, it came through like, a friend another friend's brother or something referred me to whoever so i was designing stuff for the laser industry and then making it on the machine and that's also paid the bills while i was starting the gun stuff so i did i was doing it simultaneously so my income was from doing stuff for like the laser industry where i designed like a gimbal system to uh so you could look at wafers under a microscope and things like that because mm-hmm. i've always been a mechanical guy yeah so the laser company's like hey we hear from this guy you know that hey you're really good at making mechanical stuff do you want to just come in and, and so i'd go into the lab with the lab clothes and the shoes and the stuff and go in and see what they needed to have done so they'd have like indium deposition and all kinds of odd stuff so that what was great about that was we're, I was using screws that were so tiny. You think an eyeglass screw is small. I was using screws half that size. I was using drill bits to drill. I made this one thing, it was like a, it was two platinum fangs that were vacuum powered, basically like snake fangs to pick up a, uh, a laser wafer that I designed. And I was using drill bits that were so small that you couldn't even see if they were drill bits. So when you bought them from the company, they'd give you like 10 because they were so small, like two out of the 10 might not even, they'd still be just a rod. Really? It, you couldn't even see the spirals on them hardly. Really? Yes. Crazy small drill bits, almost like human hairs. And I had a I had a 1970s Bridgeport, and the thing was so accurate. This old Mixmaster Bridgeport, unbelievably good. I could drill these holes and they were straight. Yeah. So, oh my God, yeah, incredible, incredible machine that I had. The Mixmaster, I still have it. I'll never sell it. It's 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 all your baby my baby that the machine's a beast it's so accurate and so i i did that while i was doing the gun stuff so that's kind of how it started yeah Yeah. and then the word got out and then i did you did more of that tech stuff but i didn't want to do the tech stuff weren't really into it well it's hard to make money because custom work so you can't if you actually sat there and go hey look i'm gonna charge a hundred dollars an hour or whatever you want you don't because you're thinking about it on the weekend before you designs like that. If you actually build the person, what you spent on it be unaffordable, yeah, you know what I mean. So, to to the customer, so doing custom work is really the guys who do custom work. Ooh, I it takes a certain kind of guy to do it, and there's they, they got to have other shortcuts because to do true custom work, I don't think you can really get your money out of it unless you just charge. It's so outrageous, mm-hmm. but then people go, okay, try something else. So you have like uh, custom motor, I build motorcycles too. So custom motorcycle builders, they go, oh, this bike's totally custom. So much of it's ordered out of a catalog. we guy like, can't make a living making the motorcycle. The motorcycles I make are completely made. Like every part is made by me. Yeah. I, I can't sell them. Yeah. There's too much time and well, they're for me. Yeah. If I tried to sell them, you'd have to cut corners to keep food on the table. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there's, yeah, so that's the, that's like the, that's the rub with custom stuff. So with the laser, it was all custom. And that, you're never, no, no. And I was into guns anyway. Right. That's my real passion. So what gun products do you make? Oh, I make, okay, predominantly, my first basic gun pro, uh, gun product was a bipod. And I also made rifle chassis for like Remington 700 that took like, uh, M4 magazines, I had a 300 Win Mag that I actually made my own magazines for, So, I, but very few people have them, you know, I'm doing it out of this, so there's there's people that still shoot the guns that I made, so I was doing like the bipods, thing like that, and I would be down in the shop every day with my father, and my father, like I tell people, if I'm 100th times as smart as my dad when I'm his age, I could rule the world. Mm-hmm. my dad was so smart it was shocking how smart he was an Un- unbelievably intelligent just blew me out of the water constantly i'd be shocked how intelligent he was so we did the bipods and the thing that was great about my father is i could bounce ideas off of him i could like design something go what do you think he'd be like uh no whatever and you learn as you go and it takes years and years and years for you to learn what what works and what doesn't and what's too big one of my dad's things he always says he says you don't put a truck tire on a bicycle and that was kind of the lesson that you don't like anybody can put a you know a huge bolt to hold on a scope anybody can do that the art is to make the bolt that's totally strong that's enough to do the job plus some but not being ridiculous because anybody can make something super heavy and bulky you're you're putting a truck tire on a bicycle yeah it's a bicycle so that was kind of that was one of the things the, the engineering things that he would teach me while I was doing because I have no school for engineering or anything. Yeah zero.
0: You are completely 100% you figured it out.
1: Yeah, figured it out. And then I had my father to bounce stuff off and he would and we would talk about things. So then I came out with the, the lever system, which we that was patented. The bipod was the first thing I patented. Then I came out with my lever system, which is still on the products today and the, the return to zero, true return to zero, no tools system. So it does everything for you basically. You're not giving the, the, the soldier or the user, you're not you're not letting them use the tools, whatever. So in the Army you see that, like things can get broken and the, and the, the, the more you make it so it's just straightforward how you do the stuff, the better you're off. So basically my main, I guess the flagship product is my return to zero mounts. So we do it for Military I've done it for like bomb disposal robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have used it for uh, camera systems So my lever system is not just for guns So I may get a call from a company and says hey, we need to uh, do something for avionics So like a company in Germany is using My lever system to put avionics into aircraft mm-hmm. Because they can incorporate the lever so they, they buy it for me. So it's more than just the gun stuff. So that's the flagship, I make flashlight mounts, I make oh, just, I make quite a bit of stuff. Um, I have probably almost a hundred products.
0: So when you say true to
1: zero, what does that mean? Well, it returns to zero. So basically, uh, you shoot the weapon, if everything's static on the weapon, so you have the scope is bolted down, whatever, if you remove the scope and it goes back on, there's something's going to change. It's just physics, something has to change. So the, the, the battle is, can you make it so when you put it, if you take it on and put it, you put it back on, you have to make the mechanism repeat itself as close as possible so that you can hit the, hit the round the same spot. And nowadays, the game has changed too because barrels are so good, rifles are so good, ammunition is so good, the guns are so accurate now to where a return to zero system is really, really important. Whereas 50 years ago, you could take it on and off and it might not actually notice, but we can like measure the deviation now. We know that it's gonna do it. So the design was basically it has to like return to zero every single time and we have to eliminate every single variable possible so that when the end user puts it back on, it, it tries to go to the same spot on the rail and it clamps with the same pressure on the rail. And if you have that and you have a good design, it's about as repeatable as you're gonna get. Yeah. So that's why there's no tool. So a guy can't make it tighter or looser. So on that same given rail, it, it goes back on. So that's where my design, definitely the first in the market, and, and it's still unique in that respect, that it truly is it's you know, it's toolless and it even indexes itself. So even after all these years, we're still the only ones that have this technology. Because <laughs> yeah. it looks simple, but it's actually and it's only a few pieces. But the design itself is extremely complicated, but it's simple. It's like, um, yeah, anybody can make something super complicated, yeah. and make it work.
0: Yeah. You
1: do, it's harder to make something simple and actually make it work. It's much much harder. Yeah. So the design is just return to zero. So my my father and I, you know, we came up. With the, I came up with the design, and my father would talk about it with me, and we go, okay, this and this and this. So it was awesome to bounce the stuff off with my dad um he he just recently passed away but that's like the thing that i miss most about my dad was that i could actually i could run stuff by him and i knew that it was weird he was so smart he instantly he's not even a gun guy never owned a gun <laughs> my family there's no guns in the family yeah. i'm like you have enough for all of them yeah i'm like <laughs> super into guns and even as a kid i've always i've always loved guns so but my dad could understand what was, what was there. We'd be like, okay, what about this? No, no, like that. And it was it was so great. So I always had a source of someone who's like way smarter than me that you could bounce stuff off of, which is really cool. That's yeah. a, that's it's a hel- great thing.
0: It's helpful to have that sounding board.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I needed it because I when you first start, you don't realize <clears throat> how little you know. And you're, you're like, okay, you got this and you got this. And then it kind of morphs how you, how you design stuff and also because I actually make the stuff that I design, I you you, I can tailor the stuff to the material that I use too so it's not just some engineer just drawing something and it's some weird design that's really really hard to machine or something Mm -hmm. I, I because I have to end up making it myself I would tailor the design to how I would okay for manufacturing if I can make this mechanism so I only have two operations Versus, because I'm making it too, so I think that was a good thing that I actually designed and made my stuff initially, because it's changed my how I design stuff now. So when I design stuff now, it's the the manufacturing of it is is literally fifty fifty with the design. It's totally evenly spaced. I'm not doing anything. It's yeah. Every every time I make a design, how I'm going to make it is is just as powerful. Yeah. In the design. Really. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. That's so beyond me because I'd never be able to figure
1: any of that. You have to take the leap. It's 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 kind of scary. You got to take the leap. You and you got yeah. The machinist leap. Yeah, you got to take that <laughs> leap. There's machinists out there that are just they're so good. And I don't think people understand how much work and stuff and how much patience. It's like a mechanic. You got a guy with like that just you know road rages and has no patience. You can't be a mechanic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something will slip. You'll bust your knuckles. You'll be underneath the car just...
0: Having a bad day. Yeah.
1: No, you got to have... There's a certain mindset. A machinist is like meticulous. He's like...
0: Well, and, it's yeah. like, and we've talked about this before. You kind of just look at everything in some sort of code. Yeah. how you can create that.
1: Yeah. Oh, the, as in like the design? Yeah. Yeah, because I couldn't afford the software, the CAD software. Yeah. I just starting a business. So, I had to. I had to do the code, the machine code direct. So, I just... Had basically I have a piece of paper, a pencil, all my stuff. Even to this day, I it's it's a mechanical pencil, a piece of paper, and a geometry calculator, uh-huh. and that I can do it just as fast as someone can do it with the mouse, basically.
0: Yeah.
1: Because they didn't have the equipment, so I did it like they did. I mean, they put a man on the moon with with the stuff that they had back. at, I'm doing the same level of stuff with that, so. They did it back then with slide rules, I do it with the geometry calculator. Mm-hmm. So you can just find your Cartesian coordinates with the calculator and you can do it quick. But you just draw it in your head how you want it and then you find the numbers with the calculator. And I can get the G code, to the, 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 the machine moves, I can get the machine moves. And if there's something else, a mistake, when I create something, I will just go out to the shop and I'll just start cutting. I don't have it designed 100% ever. I don't sit there and model on a computer completely. I start with, like, okay, I want this concept. I want to make the base for this, let's Here's say. Here's your
0: rough outline. That's
1: rough outline. I'll just cut it, and I'll look at it. And if I think whatever, I, sometimes I cut it in half with a bandsaw. Just walk over and cut it in half and just kind of look at it like a cross-section. Just cut it with a saw. And then I kind of write the program as I go, and it everything kind of goes from there because I want to put, like, a little bit of art into it, too. Yeah. And that gives you the chance because you're looking at it there. So I kind of, I still do it the same kind of way is I, as I make it. I do it I do it relatively quickly. Just kind of cut as I go, you know.
0: So coming back from Alaska and starting your yeah. company working with your dad a lot, picking up your first machine, what was the transition for you like from military life back into civilian life and coming back to Santa Barbara? Is hey, there was, any
1: hobbies you picked up or Ooh, see that that was that was a that was a strange one. That was a really hard transition. What I did in the military, we all y'all everybody has like an ego you know you're like okay so to be totally honest we we would look down on like civilians
0: mm-hmm.
1: we thought they were the biggest pack of wimps you'd be in the grocery store be like <laughs> these guys are just straight up turds straight up turds you know yeah. what i mean you had that attitude so you believe you're like you you're completely removed so the military life is completely different than civilian life it's so different that yeah, the people that go, oh, yeah, I understand. No, no. When you're in the military, you're living in the military world. Even if you're off the base, you're still in the military. So you have this military mindset. And when I got out, I would just go and I would just like, I wasn't disgusted with civilians in general, or whatever, but I had a hard time getting back into it. I felt that I wasn't like a civilian. And it took a long, long time for me to, uh, to actually feel like, okay, it's cool. I guess I didn't really have any respect for civilians which is not the right attitude because you're out you're a civilian now so yeah just little things I remember like little things would 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 you'd see and go oh okay maybe you know maybe my perception whatever is wrong I remember there's there was like this rock wall this climbing wall and there was this girl like climbing it and she was like a total beast she's obviously a civilian and she was like climbing the wall she was super strong I'm like what I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago in the military, I'd say, oh, no, civilians are, yeah, we thought we had, like, the, we thought we had the the, the patent on being tough or cool. Or I don't know. It's kind of hard. And you go out and you see the civilian, you're like, oh, wow, no, there's cool civilians, too. Yeah. And that was, that was part of the transition. You're like, oh, wow, you don't have to be military to have it. Because I had, like, this, yeah, I felt like that anybody that didn't have military experience wasn't, like, qualified almost to, like, deal with me. And it's just, it's just for me, no, it's just, not in a bad way.
0: I, but I get what you're saying. I'm yeah. laughing because I totally understand yeah. what you
1: mean. Yeah. It's like you don't, yeah, it's the same thing. Let's say you're like into riding bikes. You rode super hard ride, brutal 60 mile ride over mountains. Brutal. Come back into town, there's some dude on his cruiser with like a basket with a little dog in front. That's overweight. Yeah. You yeah. know that guy has no comprehension of what you just went through. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know what I mean. But when you're young and out of the military, you think it matters. Yeah, you're like, oh, that matters. Pride, ego. Yeah, it's everything. like, and that's that's what you got to weed out of your system. And then yeah. after a while, you're like, oh man, who who
0: cares? So did did you pick? Was getting back into the ocean part of a hobby that maybe helped you?
1: Which is funny. Okay, so basically, in Ranger School, like in the first, maybe it's in the first week, whatever, you have to pass a swim test. Now this is the funny thing. I've always, I've been like a horrible swimmer. Like I cannot swim, literally, like before I joined the army. Yeah, but you're a bang up fucking diver. <laughs> yeah, but that's 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 part of the funny thing. So I, I, I knew ranger school super hard. I said, you know what, if I can pass a swim test, mm-hmm. ranger school will be a joke. So swim test, I barely passed a swim test in ranger school. We're talking barely, like the worst guy there. I could tell they were looking at me like, are this for real? But I made it under a pure like force. Basically, I don't even think i breathed. I just like held my breath and just powered it. It was totally brutal. I was I was completely exhausted and spent. And they said, okay, you pass the swim test. But I mean, literally, I'm probably the worst guy to ever pass a swim test in the history of the U.S. Army. So, and that was always the thing that bothered me. I was like, anything on land, I'll jump out of an airplane. I'll do anything. Send me to outer space. I don't care. But the ocean was—that was my complete weakness—was water, and when we do water training in the military and stuff like that, I was, I was always like, man, this is not cool. I did not look forward to any of it, mm-hmm. at all. So I got out of the army, and I, uh, one of my childhood friends is really into snorkeling and stuff, and I had, I got out of the army and said, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna, I'm getting to the ocean. I'm going diving, and uh, bought some dive gear, and I just went down to the beach and I just. Jumped in the water.
0: Free diving or scuba diving? No, not
1: scuba. Free diving. Basically snorkeling a mask and stuff. And I just went into the ocean. Said screw it. I'm not. I'm deal with this. I'm gonna face this. So basically, yeah, I went in. I was probably in the water for two minutes. and I come back out. Like whoa, that was like. I look back at it now, but like oh, that was a chump dive. But it that, that was a big deal for me. I completely was.
0: Well, you were walking through fear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just like, oh my God. I mean, was, was
0: there like fear of sharks? And no, fear of, I've never,
1: I've never, I still don't, sharks statistically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's more than riding my bike. Because I mean, I've talked to you when
1: you've come back and you've yeah. been like, hammerheads are fucking everywhere. Yeah, I mean, certain times, yeah. Like yeah. The, 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 I'm not, a, I don't care about the sharks. Yeah. Um, but it was just the, the, the ocean. It just, not so much the ocean, but just water. I wasn't a swimmer. And when you're not confident in the water, You can go through the motions without the confidence, it's no good. So I was like, So I came back out and I just kept doing it. And it didn't take long. And I've completely now I'm like a total water guy. Yeah. I dive all the time, I spearfish. You build your own spear guns. Build my own spear guns, yeah. And it was just a matter of me saying, Okay, I've. Like you're
0: you're seriously crafty in the sense that you've built your own spear guns, built your own motorcycles, built your own gun parts
1: yeah yeah i do you know a lot. i mean you do a yeah. lot of stuff yeah i build muzzle loaders like uh correct antique muzzle loaders the old way with by hand and stuff like that so i've, I've always done that and that the the ocean the water thing was like the one thing in life that to me was my weakest point mm-hmm. was basically and you conquered it yeah the fear of water absolutely and in the army you can get away with it you can get away with it because you're, you're with everybody else you got all your gear it sucks for everybody Nobody's happy about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just, you, yeah, you just do it. So you deal with it. For
0: you, what is it like when you get into the water? And it, mind you, most of your diving is out here in Santa Barbara, off of a boat or, you know, however you guys yeah, go out.
1: off the shore sometimes. Off
0: the shore sometimes. What is it like for you when you get out of the water, you have your spear gun, and you float on the top of the surface, and you're waiting to find the fish that's going to be your target or, you know, whatever your your, uh, your
1: objective is going to be. Yeah, it's interesting because we have, I shouldn't even say this, but we have the best diving in the world. But for sure. Mm-hmm. And we have beautiful kelp forests. We have big fish. And where we dive, there's like nobody there. We have it to ourselves. It's completely And we also dive, sometimes we'll dive at the islands. There's no, there's not a building on these islands. Mm -hmm. They're completely wild. Like, they're so wild, seagulls are scared of you. Mm -hmm. That's wild. You know, everybody's used to seagulls. Oh, they took a french fry out of my hand. These seagulls are scared of you. We dive in wild sections. Just beautiful wild sections. So basically, you get in the water, and you go, when you go into hunting mode for these fish, the fish that we typically target, is you have to be completely silent. You can't bonk your fins together. When you dive, your snorkel comes out of your mouth, so there's no bubbles come out of the snorkel. You have to clear your ears, that squealing sound. You have to try to clear them as quietly as possible. We'll run water through our wetsuits, so there's no bubbles, so they don't burp. Everything is extremely quiet, and everything has to be super, super deliberate. So all your fin kicks, everything is designed- Yes, to save energy, because you're holding your breath to hunt these big fish that will screw you up. How big? 60 pounds Sometimes. What, what
0: was the one you just pulled out like a month ago?
1: Oh, wow. that was a, That's a crazy story. So yeah. basically, yeah. So we, we get in, and there's a ripping current around the edge of the island. It's a ripping current. So sometimes these really big fish, we're talking like 60-pound fish or so, will come and try to get out of the current to take a break so they don't deal with the current. So basically what I was doing is I was hunting off a boat, so I get dropped off, and... It also should be noted when we spearfish, we don't spearfish in teams, whatever. I could be, I do it by myself a lot. I could be spearfishing and then the next guy could be a couple hundred yards away at the closest sometimes. Yeah. So we do, it's all a solo effort. So if something happens, it's on you. There's no buddy to help you, mm-hmm. but you're hunting. You can't have two people hunt. You'll never get a fish. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like I say, like, yeah, one person's loud. Two people is 10 times louder. Yeah. Yeah. That's for real. So, basically, just cruising in and shot the fish, and I didn't stone the fish. And what we mean by stoning is this fish is dead. As soon as the spear goes into the fish, you kill it. And it happens quite a bit. You get them in the spine or whatever, and it does it. This fish was not stoned, and it was a 60-pound fish. So, I shot it, and the spear went in right above the spine, and it towed me into the shallows. So, I'm in like six feet of water with the waves pounding against the cliff of the islands and there's barnacle covered rocks so i'm getting towed by this fish now i have carbon fiber fins that are probably three feet long and i'm a strong dude and you cannot overpower a 60 pound fish impossible Mm -hmm. they live there they got a 30 pound fish will tow you like a boat you can't overpower these fish so it drags me into the shallows So I'm fighting this fish in in the rocks. My wetsuits, I had to throw it in the trash. My wetsuit completely shredded on the rocks. And my shooting line, which is coming off, and remember there's no scuba here, it's all breath hold. So you're dealing with this fish in its element, and yeah, it was crazy. So my wetsuit gets shredded. My shooting line was around my neck. I pulled it off, the fish is still alive. So after a long time, I finally managed to subdue the fish. And then I had to swim back to the boat, and the boat was the farthest it's ever been. Because, How far
0: did that fish drag you?
1: Oh, I, that
0: fish,
1: 50, 60 yards.
0: Holding your breath, coming up
1: for air. Going coming up, coming down. up for air because it, you're going down. So when you're being pulled, it's not like your head's above the surface. It, it wants to like pull you down. So you've got to come up for air and you got to fight it. And the kicker is this, you can't get adrenalized and start over breathing because you're breathing out of a snorkel. So your snorkel is basically just a tube you breathe through. So if you start going breathing really heavily, you will run out of air. You're not pushing all the air out of the snorkel. No, you'll you, you can you're just pan- taking back in a lot of your own. Yes, air. and you can panic super easy. So you have to force yourself breathe slow, breathe slow, and then if you take your head weighs 14 pounds basically. So if, let's say you take your snorkel out and you stick your head out of the water to breathe, it's worse because now you're kicking harder because I have a weight belt. Now I'm kicking harder to breathe cuz I have 14 pounds weight above the water. Mm-hmm. So you have to be disciplined. You got to keep your head in the water, stay balanced. And balanced. Yes, and keep your and only breathe through your snorkel. So when you're adrenalized or something's happening in the waves, it's it can be sketch city. Now is now, that
0: how people can make mistakes or how mistakes absolute, can be made?
1: Oh my god, absolutely. panic. I've I've come close to drowning a, a couple times. Now that's not every time and for the most part, it's self-inflicted. So, yeah, most of your misery is self-inflicted. <laughs> so, you're like, you're doing something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't have to shoot the fish. He doesn't have. I could have let go. Yeah, but you're not gonna let go. You know, so it's it's part of the thing. Yeah. So so it's on you. But what's cool? It's it's a really it's you. The best part about it to me, one of the best part is when this stuff does happen, you kind of get tested again, and it's cool to be tested again. When you're like 50 years old, yeah, you know, instead of like living, like whatever, the the, kind of the soft life, whatever, when you're younger in the military, you get tested all the time. And it's like a good feeling when you pass the test. So one thing cool about the, the, the free dive spearfishing is most of the time it's, it's totally cool. It's still a little bit dangerous. Yeah. It's always, I mean, that's why so few people do it and it's obviously inherently dangerous, but then every once in a while you get tested. And then you feel much better about yourself. You're like, okay, cool. I still I still have something. You know, you go, hey, maybe someone else would have, like, this would have done him in. That's like a good feeling. Yeah. You know, kind of that. It's like hunting. Like, when you go hunting and stuff, you're doing stuff guys just won't do. That's why you get the deer. Yeah. Because you're willing to... Go further. Yeah, you're willing to climb up the, the that one cliff. You, like, went up to the top of the cliff, went in. That's how... That's how you got that big deer. Yeah, you're willing to do what guys won't do. Yeah. So that's the same with the free dive spearfishing. You just you're willing to do the stuff that people won't do. But yeah, yeah anyway. So yeah, a couple times come close to drowning, and uh, but it came out okay. So you know,
0: when you get in the ocean, do you feel like a, Is there a connection for you? Yeah, back but, with nature
1: and the elements and just yeah a meditation. I completely. I'm an ambush. I'm an ambush hunter. So I have dive buddies who, they swim around all day, just haul ass, boom, 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 Swim, 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 and they run into fish. I am an ambush type of guy. I could sit there in the kelp. I have a camouflage wetsuit and all this stuff. I just sit there in the kelp. I can sit still for 20 minutes. I don't, have, I don't have to race around. So my style of hunting is ambush style. Sooner or later, some fish is gonna come around. So I'll sit there and hide in the kelp, then I'll dive down, hold my breath, carefully swim around, Look around, come back up, and I'll just chill out another ten minutes. Uh, one of my dive buddies—it's like archery hunting. Yeah, guys. one of my dive buddies—he swims all around. He gets a lot of fish too. So yeah. there's one's not better than the other. But he yeah. says, "Oh, my head would explode. How do you sit there for so long? I can do it. Stand hunting versus yeah. still hunting
0: versus yeah. spot and stock. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and you got to trust that you're in the right spot. So you got to you've got to trust yourself.
0: It's like looking at something and being like, that looks bucky. Yes,
1: there's deer in it. Yes, okay. you have to trust yourself. And the guys who swim around a lot, they don't trust their own judgment, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So they just tear around, they get fish. But I go, no, I'm trusting that something's gonna happen. That's my style. This is the spot. Yeah, and then before you know it, everything you're thinking about, work or whatever, it's so intense, it's exhausting. Because literally, my I'm just super hyper-focused. Because remember, you have a dive mask, so you're basically holding a tube up to your face. So your your field of vision is pretty small. So you have to move your head slowly so you don't make noise, but you have this field of vision that you can completely concentrate on. So you're just looking and looking and looking, and just the gun is there, and you're just floating, basically, and then you dive down, carefully come back up, and then you have to breathe up again. So when you come back to the surface, you can't just dive again and again and again. So you have to come up, and you have to slowly re-breathe everything to get to put the oxygen back in your system Mm because you've been depleted. So it's really cool way to hunt because everything is, every move is calculated. Everything I do is in slow motion kind of. So it's really relaxing. It's like, uh, yeah, if you want to get the fish, you got to do everything slow motion. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's fun to do that. Even the way you swim, like your legs are moving. You're not making noise or you're trying to be quiet. It's, it's, it's really uh, it's relaxing I don't think about work I'm totally not stressed and your blood pressure goes way down too because yeah. your body's being supported and it's floating so your blood pressure goes down <laughs> so yeah it's good and then you can have you know tons of excitement too yeah like total adrenaline Instantly. instant adrenaline whoa this got this got crazy quick yeah. you know Peaking. yeah it's yeah. really really cool yeah two extremes. Right within within one section. Yeah. yeah, it's like deer hunting. You know, you're waiting, you shoot the deer, and you're just like, oh my god! I remember the first deer I shot. It was like, it yeah, this is a total joke. So I shot my first deer. It's probably thirty yards away. I kid you not. And there's this old riverbed that has an old like telephone pole. I shot the deer three feet from the telephone pole.
0: Yeah.
1: The one telephone pole in the entire river, and I'm so adrenalized. I go down, run down the hill to the riverbed, and I can't find the deer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm searching like 50 feet away from the telephone pole that I shot it at. I was so, so incredibly adrenalized yeah. that I'd shot my first deer. Yeah. Then you make the connection, like, wait a minute, it's next to the one pole in the whole creek. Yeah. And then it took me like 20 minutes, literally. To like I was like, what? Where did it go? Where did it go? It's like dawn on me. Wait a minute. Then You finally calm down enough. Yeah, I shot it next to the one pole in the entire river. Yeah, you know what I mean? What and yeah. then I just walk out. You feel like an idiot, but that's the excitement of hunting. Yeah, and the hunting can give you that,
0: and that's what's so cool about it. So, and that's a I like that transition. So, for you because you hadn't been a deer hunter your whole life when you no, kind of got into deer no, hunting and all that no. i i believe did john and you kind of link up and yes and that was sort of how you ended up getting into it and then you and i eventually had met you know through john
1: yeah my first deer hunt i was a kid so basically i wanted a i wanted to hunt deer and my family's not hunters or anything so i told my mom i said i want a deer rifle and there's one at big five sporting goods and it was like three hundred dollars she said okay so she made me do yard work and then she we put on layaway, so she would put money on the rifle, and I would do yard work. And then I, I was probably fourteen or fifteen. And then when the layaway was done for doing yard work, she went down and bought the gun for me. And I didn't know anything about deer hunting. I had no mentor, nothing. Yeah. So I got books from the library, how to hunt deer. And I heard from somebody, said, so there's lots of deer in Malibu Canyon. Yeah. Malibu, we're talking Malibu, California here. Yeah. So my brother Cameron, oldest <laughs> brother, I said I'm gonna go deer hunting. So literally, I took my deer rifle, threw it at my brother's sob. He drove me down to Malibu. I didn't know that there was hunting zones or nothing. I had a deer tag, that was legal, but I went down to Malibu and there's like multi-million dollar houses on the ocean side and they're just hills on the other. I didn't even know what part of Malibu to hunt in. Mm -hmm. So basically he drops me off on the other side of the road and I'm by myself with a deer rifle and I'm hunting for deer in Malibu. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't see any deer at all. And that's a funny story. So, I'm hunting in Malibu, and I'm I, right off the highway. It's the highway right down there, like you see in the movies. Right, right, Can literally. Can you
0: still hunt there to this day? Or oh,
1: hell no. no. I don't no. think so. Not at all. I didn't now. think I could have hunted then. Oh, really? No. So, I cross the street, and I see a body bag, and there's a body in it. I'm, I've been hunting for half an hour. The yeah. sun's already been up, you know, probably, you know, 10 o'clock. I didn't know anything about hunting deer. So I heard there's deer in Malibu. Yeah. So, there's a body bag, and there's a body in it. And it stinks to high heaven. I'm like, oh my god. So I went and got a stick that had like a hook on it, <laughs> and the body bag had a zipper, cause I wanted to see in the body bag. And I grabbed the zipper with the hook of Southern
0: California. Yeah,
1: and get... I and I got my rifle with me, and I started unzipping it. And it's a homeless dude. He was sleeping in it. Yeah. He like gets up. and He's like looking at me. I'm like, whoa. So that's California hunting yeah. in Malibu. Yeah. Yeah, homeless guy in a body bag kept him warm. Mm-hmm. And it stunk to have and it just had crazy hair. And I started unzipping. And it sits up. You know, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Yeah, it's alive. So I was like, he didn't say anything. I don't remember, really. I was like, yeah. whoa. So I kept deer hunting. So, of course, I didn't see a single deer. And then my brother Cameron was going to pick me up at 3 o'clock. So Cameron comes by, my brother, and throw the rifle in the truck. And that was my deer hunting experience. Yeah. I don't even know if I had a knife to skin it. Yeah. Back
0: even, in the 80s, in the 80s. Oh, got up in
1: the 80s. Yeah, yeah just late, late 70s. But I always 70s. wanted to hunt deer, but I had yeah. no one, no one took me deer hunting, whatever. Yeah. So basically, yeah, after I got the army, uh, our mutual friend, John, big John, I'm talking big John. to John. John and I, he's a diver. Yeah. He's a John That's di- how you guys know each other is through diving. And John's yeah.
0: a hell of a fucking diver.
1: Oh, he's a beast. Yeah. He blows me out of the water. Yeah. I'm going down as deep as I can, and he is 20 years older than me. And he'll be fifty feet deeper, yeah, 50 spec, feet below you holding his breath for a minute longer. Yeah, like what? Yeah.
0: He's a beast.
1: Yeah, John is a beast. You never know it. That's the funny thing about John. You look at John you're like, oh no no, <laughs> he's a beast diver. Yeah. Never know it. So I said, John, I had to go deer hunting. So John's like, okay. And that's how I ended up meeting you. Yeah. Was yeah. He's like, hey, I I I know the locals, and let's yeah. go let's go hunt. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go for it. And that's yeah. how we met. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, even started deer hunting. Even though I can say I went deer hunting as a kid But yeah not really. Yeah <laughs> I can say it with a straight face, but yeah. I didn't see any deer. Yeah. You know? But uh yeah, so that's how we met. So we went up into the sierras We went up to the Sierras, yes. Yeah. And went uh deer hunting. And then I don't remember it was my first year or whatever in my own zone. Mm-hmm. Here in Southern California, I ended up getting a deer. So,
0: how difficult was that for you to figure out where to hunt in Southern California? Because we're talking, was it 2013, yeah. 2014 yeah. maybe at this time?
1: Yeah, our our deer season in in Southern California, the A zone, it's it's stupid hot, like stupid hot. Yeah, I got crazy stories about that. Yeah, I'm like ex military. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and there's spots you're like, well, okay, this is sketch. Yeah, like there is no water back there. Yeah, I remember one time I'm hiking back. I'm basically out of water this is what I this is what I always do I always have like two gallons of water in my truck always so you know even if you have to get back to your vehicle no matter what happens you know there's water waiting for you you got you it, as hunters that's like the best piece of advice I can give have water in your vehicle or somewhere where you start so you know if something happens You can, to me waters there's always excess got up have water yeah yeah I'm not like big on first aid whatever water well I, I can Without water, I can't do anything. I can go without food for a month. Mm-hmm. I don't care. What I need, I gotta have the water. So, yeah, yeah, a couple times back there, it was so hot, all I had left was a peach. So, I'll bring fruit, like peaches and apples. So, you get your water and you get your sugar. Because it's so hot back there, you can get cramps really bad from in the heat. And an apple or a peach has the sugars and it's got the water. So, I was down to like a peach. So, I just basically went underneath the manzanita bush and just waited till the sun went down. And then back to the truck so it's that bad back there yeah and it's really really difficult to hunt but if the animal makes a mistake you can do it were you
0: looking at like online maps or how did you come to find where you wanted to hunt
1: i mountain bike a lot so i had been through areas where i know i'd seen deer before and i knew trails and also i like to hunt in areas that are there's no ve- no motor, motor vehicle no, no motor vehicles allowed yeah and I go to the places where I walk in where people don't want to go. It's just too far back, it's too hot. The, the Most of the time, the deer, are, they're pretty savvy. They don't move during the day. You have a very tiny window to deal with them. The In Southern California here, basically what I've noticed is, in the morning, as soon as it warms up enough to where the lizards, you start to see lizards, go sleep somewhere. The deer are gone. They're gone. As soon as the lizards are warming up to move, you're done done for the day, you're done deer hunting. Yeah. So I just watch. And
0: you're just doing that by watching nature and yeah. life happen. Yeah, yeah. One thing's moving, the other yeah. thing's not Yeah, Yeah. And so, paying attention to detail. Yeah. Yeah. As soon
1: as the lizard start running, you're like, nope, go sleep somewhere. And then basically there's we have a we have I there's another guy I hunt with and we don't hunt together. He may go there two days before me. We have run into each other out there, like, oh my God see a guy in a binoculars oh man that must be my buddy yeah hey what's up so there was a little stream so he made a little homemade fishing pole and he caught some bluegill mm-hmm. and we had like bluegill and stuff during for the lunch. day yeah. for lunch it was really cool yeah so we we, we we do that's how we do it you know get some bluegill and uh, it's really fun I just go back there by myself and the deer they're they're like black-tailed deer and because it's so hot the meat is super lean mm-hmm. so the, the meat's fantastic and they're not so giant that when you do them, they're hard to get out but it's not ridiculously hard i mean they're not like a mule deer not like a mule deer thank yeah. god and the the meat's really good but the deer are really really savvy and it's open so everything can be like a really long shot so with archery it's extremely difficult you have to be though and you've
0: I, taken an archery deer. yeah right there. yeah but it's down all, here
1: yeah it was the dumbest deer in california as I like to say yeah there were so many factors that were in my favor just one after the next, of things that were in my favor to get the deer. If yeah. the wind had been a different way, wouldn't have happened. If this would have been a different way, wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I feel super fortunate to actually have gotten that deer with my bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. I've got them with rifle in that area, but the bow, getting it with the bow was, yeah, it was just like yeah. this perfect storm to get the deer.
0: And then, and now I can't remember, when
1: you picked up your bow, you got it off eBay. Thing. I no, I got it off. Uh, yeah, not eBay, but uh, some archery supply, uh-huh. and it was a Struthers bow, and it was because we both shot Struthers yes, together for a long yes, time. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I got the bow, and I didn't wasn't sure of my draw length or anything, but I got what I figured, and I got the bow, and I had a the fiber optic sight, mm-hmm. which works really good for me. I like the fiber optic, so I have you know. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 on it, the yeah. pins, uh, very straight, I don't have a stabilizer, I have a uh, quick spot, and because where I hunt can be so thick sometimes, to get to certain areas, I have mechanicals, and I also have uh, just the fixed,
0: fixed blade, fi-
1: fixed blade broadheads, you have to have both, because there's certain areas, I always want to have an arrow in the bow, yeah. always, because some areas, you never know when a deer is gonna come out. When, when it's I hunt. pop up. Yes, yeah, so when you're going through the super, super thick stuff, I was having problems with the mechanicals, getting deployed on stuff. Yeah. So when I go in certain areas, I'll just put the fixed blade, mm-hmm. and then when I get a little bit more open, I'll put the mechanical back in. Because yeah. I really like, when I, when I shoot them, the mechanicals for me just always seem to fly so great. Yeah. I'm super confident with them. I've shot my mechanicals, you know, practice at 60 yards, and if there's no winds, at 60 yards, if there's no wind, and everything's right, I'm sure I could get a deer, Yeah, you know?
0: So, like, for me, for example, I use a pro shop. I use West Coast
1: Archery. You've been
0: there. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. You know, so is there a pro shop down here that you've ever frequented, or that you use that's in the area? No, no. is West Coast kind of the only... Shot, maybe, yeah. I, I basically
1: just went on the internet and yeah. then you, I went on. Um, there was a forum. Uh, what's it called? Archery Talk. Archery Talk. <laughs> so, i <laughs> on Archery Talk, and it's, it seems like it's mostly back east guys, so
0: old school. Yeah, it's, it's
1: tree hunter guys, yeah. talking. Oh, yeah, I want axle to axle like this. And then from talking to you, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not in a tree, I'm out walking. I want a bow that's got a nice, uh, a bow, nice, good axle to axle. Mm-hmm. I want some room there and even my release is tailored to my hunting so my release has just a hook on it and it's not velcro because the velcro i don't want to take it on and off so i sleep i sleep out there with my release on my hand so it's a buckle so it's quiet and my release i can always have the release hooked into the bow and i can take it on and off and it has a buckle and then it's just it's a standard like a trigger release that folds down so i can get my hand in my pocket i can drink water and whatever and i just rehook. So I can't have a release that holds onto the string the whole so time. So you
0: you walk around most of the time with an arrow knocked always, and your
1: release always hooked up into your bow. Always because the deer there's certain there's one spot that I that I hunt them by this by this lake bed. The the windows of opportunity for the deer that I've seen has literally been ten seconds. Mm-hmm. You got you got to do the deed right then. You'll never get it. Everything's dry. It's desert. They they know you're there. So you have such a small window. So I even sleep up there. Now I hunt, it's so hot, I don't bring a sleeping bag or anything. So what I have is I have a, uh, basically a big bandana. That's mm-hmm. my sleeping bag. So what I'll do is I'll find like an old deer bed and you just sleep in an old deer bed and then it's so hot, literally just use a bandana for your hands and then you just sleep with your release if, if you want to because you're gonna wake up as soon as the sun comes up or before. And then I, I get up naturally anyway so, and then what I do is I'll, I'll usually sleep with my head facing east, the opposite of when the sun went down, so that the, you, it's easier to detect when the sun comes up. Yeah. Like I'll actually face where I know the sun's coming up, so as soon as that one band of light comes over a mountain or something like that, I'm awake. Yeah. And I don't really sleep good at night anyway, because yeah. you're even though, you don't have sleep, you're kind of cold, so you might sleep with your hands between your knees or whatever, but you just lay in like a deer bed, because you don't want a bunch of gear, because if you do get a deer, it it's it, the party's over <laughs> to get them to get them out the party's oh, over for oh sure oh my god it, it it's can, a grunt oh it's bad yeah it's bad yeah so i my my hunting kit literally is a tiny backpack it's wet wipes yeah. a buck knife a spare knife a cigarette lighter my hunting license probably 15 rounds if i'm hunting with a rifle like 15 15 20 rounds total overkill but i'm a military guy yeah and then uh arrows i have six arrows and not much else. And then I bring I bring some rope and uh what else? Like maybe a like a carabiner and some rope. And I have 2 liters of water, always 2 liters. 2 liters is my magic number. And I might stash water on the way in, but I always try to have 2 liters on my body. With 2 liters I can pretty much no matter what, I think I can survive on 2 liters. And
0: that way too when you're heading back out if you're packing something out and it's hot and it's heavy yeah
1: you can stop along your way back and you're guaranteed to have water yes. from when you first came in yeah yeah we it, it's so bad that sometimes we'll pre-stage it with water yeah. and then last time i went deer hunting down there i i waited till like 2 a.m to come out because yeah. it was that hot yeah so you just walk back and in, it's still in hot night. at 2 a.m oh it's still hot yeah you're pouring sweat there's no getting around it it's hot. yeah but if you hike during the middle of the day, it would actually be dangerous. Yeah. Because I have to. I'm going down a mountain. Yeah. To go into a valley, then you hunt. And miles it's all open. It's direct all, sunlight. Direct sunlight. Yeah. Maybe some bushes. Maybe some trees. There are a couple streams, and I'll go there. And my water purifier is the. Uh, oh man. It's a pure. It's, it's a lightweight one. Katadyn. No, no. I have. I have. I have a couple of them. It's just a really lightweight one. I got it R E I. Yep. Anyway it works good.
0: Yeah.
1: And and you do it quickly and the and the stream. And the stream water is good up there. And yeah, it's cool. There's lots of bears back there. And
0: yeah. Some big bears back there.
1: Big bears. Big oh bears. my God.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, Southern California's got big bears. We got
1: huge bears. Oh, I got a crazy bear story. Yeah. So I'm just back. There, I'm just back there hiking, having fun. Yeah. And of course, I do stuff for military thermals and stuff. So I can go hiking. I hike with like incredible thermals, yeah. military grade I've thermals. I've seen some of it. It's yeah crazy. It's crazy. So I'm hiking back there, and I'm overlooking this valley, and literally almost 500 yards away with my thermal, I see a giant bear, a giant bear, the biggest I've ever seen.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm basically 500 yards away and I'm standing on soft dirt and I moved my right foot scraped back like five inches and I could see in the thermal the bear heard me. His head turned and looked right that far away. So these bears have incredible senses. I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa. He knew you were there. He knew I was there. In the dark. In the dark, like 500 yards away. I make one move yeah. and he must have heard it and I could see his head plank just boom right there. Yeah. This bear was so big. Incredibly big. Mm-hmm. You know. So, yeah. It's cool hunting back there. It's it's an adventure. And you're not it's not like there's quite a few deer there, I guess, but they're extremely hard to get.
0: How many years did it take before you had your first successful kill in California from from when you started archery hunting and rifle hunting to when you took your first buck. Because I remember when you took your first buck. Yeah. That was a great day. It was probably, it had been years. You had a few years in there. A few years, yeah. Because so many people always expect that once you start yeah. hunting and you get out there, it's instantly yeah. you're going to kill something. Because in towns and in cities, yeah. they see so many deer. So they expect the forest yeah, and absolutely. nature is the same way. Yeah. They don't understand the population density. Yeah,
1: and they, you know? and they know you're there. Yeah. They know you're there. Yeah. They know it, when a predator's looking. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's funny how, and the human footstep is what scares them. A mountain bike doesn't scare them. Yeah. They're not scared of, of the, the, the... The tire weed. sound. They're not scared of it. Yeah. I've come across deer on my mountain bike, like, whoa, and then walking. But if also you go hunting with somebody else and you, you catch it just right, you can hear someone walking so far, a human walking. Hell, you can hear deer walking. Yeah. When deer walk through riverbed. Yeah. boy, you can hear the hooves on the rocks. Yeah. Clear as day. Yeah. So even they're not silent. Yep. They have these giant ears. You can imagine sonars. Yeah, they they know you're there. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right on. So this is this is the I don't know if you want to call it the fun part of the podcast okay. or or I don't know whatever kind of part of the podcast, but it's the dead eye minute. Okay. Right. So during the dead eye minute today. I, I kind of usually it's like some fun, silly, jackassy question. The last few have been getting into more serious topics. Um, you know, and yeah, so we'll kind of go on a serious topic today okay. a little bit. And we're going to kind of go full circle back to the Second Amendment and what we were talking about in the beginning part of the podcast. What has been the major difficulties for you with Bobro Engineering? And being a California resident, losing our Second Amendment rights, they're constantly changing. Some days we're felons, some days we're not, all depending on whatever structure of whatever law it is that they're pushing through. How difficult has that been for you as a business owner in the
1: in the shooting in the gun industry, in the second amendment industry? Well, for me, because I make like scope mounts and stuff, and we sell basically almost like worldwide. What happens with the California hasn't really affected my business.
0: Yeah.
1: The thing with the California, the, the, the way they're doing the gun laws, it's uh, It's like the ignorance of it that, that is, is the worst part. You know what's coming. Like I can make, I don't even want to make some predictions because I know it's going to come true and I don't, I'm like, it's like bad juju to say what you know is coming yeah. and it's, it's, and it's going to get ugly. It's just the, it's just this, it seems like the sheer ignorance of certain stuff, uh, of the laws. Like the people who write the laws obviously don't know anything about guns, Mm -hmm. which maybe is a good thing. You know what I mean? Because we we, we have ways, we we stay within the law, but there's all kinds of, Things that we can do within an The
0: ingenuity it. of a yes. gun owner in ingen- California yes. is ridiculous. It's
1: ridiculous because they, they don't know really anything about guns. Well, and when there's yeah.
0: a gun law that's put into place, and the biggest thing I've noticed is in California, when a gun law gets put into place, that's going to limit or yeah. or slow somebody down from a magazine dump or yeah. whatever the fuck it might be. Gun owners create a faster, more efficient way to circumvent and still be legal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is always so, like, that's crafty.
1: Yeah, it's crafty. You
0: know, it creates, I swear, constant regulation and over-regulation of guns in California creates constant
1: innovation and hard work for crafty gun owners. Yeah, and it's not just California. So we have stuff. So I've come up with designs for different stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, which we do sell but not for my company.
0: Yeah.
1: There's other companies that sell that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not I design it but yeah. So basically yeah, there's like way there's like ways around it. Uh Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It the main thing is just it's just the the ignorance of it. But you have a lot of people that are you're not going to change their mind. The, the the gun is the gun is completely evil evil yeah the gun itself is is whatever and some people you know they have their points of view and you within reason you have to respect it you know too you can't get all bent out of shape like I used to you go okay whatever you kind of do your thing so basically I I'm pretty quiet about it I don't advertise it I don't do anything like that uh, we, we do our things and there's a ton of gun people in california there's so many and they're
0: 20 percent of the nation's gun sales is yeah california.
1: it's huge like th- there's so many guns out here it just there we have great ranges you want to go shoot long distance we got like the best ranges. we have blm land which is called bureau of land management in california where i can go out and i can shoot my 338 lapua at a mile if i want to mm-hmm. completely no hassle desert no problem uh, just drive out to like dry lake beds and stuff like that. So California has ranges and everything.
0: Well, And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you've shot in a SCAR 17S out to 1,100
1: yards. Yeah. yeah like, banging steel. Yeah, banging steel. With a 1
0: and 6 on, a, yeah. you know, on your glass.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we do. Yeah, we do. There's a lot of gun stuff in California. So yeah, it's kind of odd. It doesn't really make sense. People don't realize. They think the California is not like a gun state. There's a ton of guns here. It's but, more of a
0: gun state than most states. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, I mean the industry, I know who purchases gun stuff. Yeah. I can, it's definitely, you'd be shocked. you think like these other states, the, the, the states that, that are just blatantly, obviously big time gun states. Of course you have Texas, which is true. Then you have California mm-hmm. and you have Arizona. But remember also some of these states, it's so hot during the summer that they don't really shoot in the summer. So a lot of these states, the weather is not conducive for you to shoot all year. Mm -hmm. And like California, in a lot of areas, you can shoot all year long. Sporting. Sport, yeah. So the weather's really good here. So that's another plus to California for shooting-wise. So shooting stuff is getting consumed throughout the year. Whereas in the industry, there'll be a certain month and a half of the year. We know we're not getting sales from certain states. The guys going on vacation or it's just too hot to shoot. And we'd see it in our sales. We're like, wait a minute, why is like this particular, this particular for these states? And then you call people. Oh, it's too hot to shoot. Yeah. You know, what I mean, you can't go outdoors. So that's California has, has good shooting conditions, and there's a ton of guns here. It's just, yeah, that's why it always puzzles me is why the, but the the people that the the gets elected are basically that's my beef with them is I think they are totally, yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 like bullying almost Mm -hmm. yeah they just do whatever they want it's like they almost like they're doing like try to do it to spite you like almost in your face that's what the most frustrating you don't have in this state you don't have a voice or anything at all no there's no voice it doesn't matter you can like make the best argument you can and go to some go to some city council meeting it doesn't matter they're not gonna listen to you that's not the people in charge yeah. and they they do it despite you they're, they're ideologues that are just so hardcore and then on the other side of the coin you have to be like realistic go wait a minute you know if if i was a certain way would i be the same way back to these people and i honestly will tell you i don't think i would be right. i'm not like that as a guy and that's what bothers me the most yeah is because me i'd be like no i will listen to this person's whatever it seems like they don't listen back yeah they don't listen back and that's the, my biggest frustration it's it's like a bully thing. Like we're in charge, screw you. Yeah. You're just a you're just And we've been in charge yeah. for a long time. And you're a nobody. Yeah. And you'd like to think that, wait a minute, if I was in charge, I would be and I think I would be. That's what bothers me. Because I how I do business with people, I'm super fair. We have a super good warranty. We don't care if you didn't buy it. We fix it. it or even if you break it, we fix it. That's just how a guy I am. I'm I'm like I'm super live and let live. Yeah. Just I leave people alone. Yeah. I don't like that they're in our business, and I and I and if I was in charge, I'm confident I would not be like them, and that's what bothers me the most because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. You go okay, I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's like condemning somebody. Man, look at that guy speeding on his motorcycle. Are you kidding me? I'm into motorcycles. Yeah. You know, I get on a road, the bike's going 140. <laughs> you know I mean so I I ain't gonna I ain't gonna condemn you for cruising up the freeway at 80. I got nothing to say. Yeah. That's how I roll. But yeah. these people will, they'll. Yeah. Right. That's my beef with California. Yeah. With, with the gun things. That's my main beef. Yeah. It's is, is the way they do it. Right I, don't, I don't like the way they do it. Yeah. It's not, it's not the right way to do things.
0: For sure. So for anybody that may be listening that maybe wants to get into spear fishing, what would you recommend for them to do as far as Ooh. maybe trying to find a place to dive or wetsuits or spear guns or Hawaiian slings
1: or snorkels, fins, masks? for spearfishing basically if you're on the coast in california it's it's really things things change so when to start spearfishing you want to start smaller you want to start from the shore and in california on the shore for the most part the conditions can vary like instantly so let's say we have clear water an hour later it could be totally not clear everything is is Everything in the ocean is such a, in such a dynamic state. So what I'm getting at is if you're going to get into spearfishing, you've got to put in the time. You've got to go. You're going to dive on days where you, in California, I'm just speaking for California, yeah. there'll be days when you can't see five feet in front of you. And there'll be days when it's 50 feet. But you're never going to catch the 50-foot day. By five feet and 50 feet, you mean vis- visibility. Visibility, where yeah. you can see. Yeah. You can have a day that looks like Hawaii, literally, right off the coast. But those days, you have to be out so much to catch those days. It's like hunting. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy gets a deer every year. Yeah, because he hunts like a beast. Yeah, that's he why he stays gets a, out there. Yeah, that's why he gets a deer every yeah. year. Because you used yeah. to make fun of me about that,
0: you know, and you'd always yeah. be like, well, you're putting the time in. You're yeah. spending the days in the yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. only
1: way. Yeah. It's same with spearfishing. You can't get frustrated and go, oh man, I want this big fish right off the bat. No, just start. Put in the time. You're going to have lousy days. You're going to have the good days. It's just like deer hunting. Just like deer hunting, but the ocean is super dynamic, more so than like the outdoors. So if someone calls, hey, hey Andrew, dude, I was down at the, I was down at this uh, spot looking for fish, and the water was crystal clear. If I don't get to the message on my phone, I get two hours later. It could be mud. Yeah. Nothing. Everything is super fleeting. Depending on the
0: current and what's going on,
1: it happens like now. Yeah. nothing stays so spearfishing you really have to be like on top of stuff and you have to be patient and that's one one the best thing about spearfishing in santa barbara is because our conditions are so varied most guys hang it up so our spearfishing club is not that many guys we all know each other yeah because there's only a few guys willing to go out there and deal with the stuff we get the great elements. trophies and the elements yeah. cold water bad viz if you're not willing to do it You ain't gonna make it, you know what I mean? (laughs) Which is cool, because we get this place to ourselves. Yeah. Which is funny. So there's a funny story. So Jeremy and I, one of my dive buddies, we we go down, like at literally probably 4 a.m. before the sun's up, putting on our wetsuits. Water's ice cold. It's still dark out. We're gonna go out, blast some fish, win the stuff. We get in the water, we dive for hours. We come back out. Jeremy has bagels, cream cheese. We got a thermos full of coffee. It's like 7 o'clock. We've been in the water for hours. So I get nobody on the beach. In, in California, nobody on the beach. I drive home and I go past like a Gold's Gym. And there's a plate glass window. And there's like a 100 people on treadmills I can see in the window. Like, what? None of them were at the beach. Yeah. Oh, I ain't saying nothing. I ain't going to go knock on the glass. Hey, fools, you missed a beach walk. We had it all to ourselves yeah. in Southern California. Yeah, That's why like good hunters and stuff, they're willing to do the stuff that most people will not do. Yeah, Thank God. Same with spearfishing. Yeah. They're, they're willing to do it. People just don't want to deal with it. So yeah. they're on their treadmills and the beach was, we had it all to ourselves.
0: Yeah, Crazy. Yeah. So how can people look you up? How can they
1: find you on social media or your website? We have Instagram, just Bobro Engineering, B-O-B-R-O. It's my, that's my last name, it's Ukrainian. It's my father's last name and I don't really know what it means. He's passed away now, and I never really, got never really that. got a straight answer—not <laughs> a straight answer—but I never really, never really asked. You know, my fielded the questions. Yeah, my dad didn't really—he didn't talk too much about World War II. He went through some extremely tough times. Like, yeah, it was like he had some yeah bad, bad stories from World War II. He was just a kid; he's 12 or thirteen, whatever. But he—he he didn't talk. He didn't do, do too much about it. Um, I'm going to talk about it, whatever. So there's like, I didn't ask him a lot of questions. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't regret not asking some things from him. Yeah. I had a good relationship with my dad. I I felt that I really understood him. We got along. We were very similar. But anyway, so that's the name. So it's Bobro, B-O-B-R-O. It's Ukrainian for something. And I think it's a pretty rare name. Because if you look in the phone book or something, I think there's... Not many. Not many. Maybe like one or two in the U.S. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not many Bobros. Like if someone says my last name is Bobro, we might be related. So that is that's the company, Bobro Engineering. And then I put my name on it. It's got my name. I didn't make like you know, you know whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: Phantom Ghost Productions or something like that. It's like <laughs> Bobro Engineering. It's my name. So that's so it's a big deal to me when I make the products. That's why we have the the guarantee that even if you break it we like fix it and which is you know what's funny because i can count on maybe one hand the people that call that are like jerks yeah that break something every once in a while there'll be something like oh no most people are cool about it they go hey i broke it i'm gonna fix it you know what i mean if, if you broke it or you over tightened something whatever so for the most part the customers that i've dealt with have all been really cool mm-hmm. and that's another thing i remember dealing with companies where like the people you talk to on the phone are jerks. And I'll tell you what it is. It means the manager or the owner's a jerk. Because if the manager or the owner is squared away, the employees that talk to you on the phone will be nice. That's how it works. There's no like one employee in a place that's a jerk and all the rest are nice. He's a jerk because they're all a bunch of jerks for the most part. Mm -hmm. So that's why I make sure that my guys who talk to people, whatever, just like I, you know, they're 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 cool. I make sure they hide that away. But that's like the thing. Like if you come across as a jerk or you're me or whatever, it's my name and it's also that means I'm makes me the makes me the jerk. So that's just one of the things that I've you know realized in business. Invariably, every time I've dealt with a company where the people you deal with are jerks, is because management or the owner or whatever is, is a jerk too. Mm-hmm. But that's just my observation of it yeah so yeah we make all kinds of stuff we're always making new stuff and we also make everything in-house so I control all aspects prototype room machines coding everything is all in-house so we can do changes or like custom stuff for applications really quickly so right now we're doing stuff for uh, BAE which is the army thermal so we have we're doing the contract with the thermal system it's like a, a wireless Bluetooth system, whatever that goes into it, like a set of goggles. We have the contract, and we, I didn't like pursue these contracts; they came to me. Yeah, they came. Well, you've to been,
0: me. you've been. I mean, I remember we went to a shot show in '15. Yeah. And a machine gun, a helicopter, machine gun mount. Yeah, that like you a, had made, yeah. and they'd been using for.
1: Yeah, they used my base quite some years.
0: Yeah. It was the first time it had ever been seen publicly. Yeah, yet. yeah. So you've been, you know, operating the, with that with military contracts. Yeah, for quite like mili- some time. Yeah,
1: quite some time doing or small runs, you know? Yeah. We do stuff for, uh, Naval Special Warfare has like a, they use our lever system for custom stuff for mm-hmm. different things. So we actually have like, we we actually have a product that's basically my lever system with a big tall piece of solid metal still on it yeah. so that you can custom cut it to whatever. And whatever Naval Special Warfare is doing with that, from the, I don't know, yeah. it could be maybe a camera, maybe putting a GoPro to burn a weapon. Yeah. I'm not sure what they do with it. But they yeah. buy the bases because our lever system, and they can just put it in a machine, and, and do what they need to do. Yes, it. customize it and do whatever. So yeah. we have like stuff like that. We have, we did stuff for like bond disposal robots. And I don't, I don't like bid on government contracts. I've never bid or anything. They always come to me. Yeah, we're we'll the best in the business Yeah, we're just, um, we're super <laughs> quiet. We're low key. Yeah, you know what I mean? Humble. We're humble. The, yeah. Been around for years. Yeah, it's like you can't mess with us. We like wear yeah. flip flops to work. Yeah, you know you can't. Yeah, that's funny. You can't. Yeah, you can't, sh- yeah. Work. You I got, can't shake I got, me up.
0: I got in trouble for wearing flip flops. Really?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm the boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, it's like, no, you can't. You can't shake me. You yeah. know what I mean? We're we 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 do our own thing, and uh, yeah, we we don't in the industry. We don't we don't talk garbage or nothing. We're cool. We don't have yeah. to We do our own thing. And we're pretty quiet. Yeah.
0: You know? Well, I mean, I'm you know. Mind you, it's been four years since we went to Shot Show together. Yeah. but like, just going there, that trip and that experience, and and watching how everything kind of yeah. worked and seeing it behind the scenes, because we didn't really fuck around at booths or shows no. or anything no. like that. We went from from one back office in a booth yeah, to the next yeah. back office in a
1: booth. Yeah, and, you know, discussing contracts. It was and, business. It's kind of like the passion thing. Like, yeah. oh man, and that was fun. Yeah, Like, that was great. That was cool. It's like yeah. the business end. It's like, oh man, I'm super passionate about this, so I'm gonna do this for a living. Well, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. So there was like a period of time when you're doing all the stuff for the weapons, you're just like, oh my god. So I'm a gun collector. So my I didn't my I didn't really buy too many guns for a while. It's kind of it wasn't that I was burnt out, but I was just it was just every day. And then my you know your interest kind of comes back. You got to have that enjoyment with it. So it's. Uh, yeah, like when I go to these trade shows where someone who doesn't make anything, you'd be like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. To me, I'm just like, I'm pretty nonchalant about it. Yeah. Nothing really excites me that much. But there's smart people in the industry that make cool stuff. Yeah. That have their that have their niche that are like, okay, that's cool. Like I saw some stuff at TriggerCon's last show, and I was like, wow, that's a really cool design. Yeah. That's smart. You guys put work into it. So, the, the, I feel the the passion is there. You have you have some people who are. Who, who are smart and real go-getters and things like that or, or people that want to do stuff that's really difficult pursue stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, like you know, I want to make this. Okay, wow, okay. Go for it. Yeah. And they pull it off. So you, I respect that, you know, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't... You, yeah. So there's there's some good stuff in the industry, for sure. So I, I've my passion for it's still there. I, I really, really love guns. But I make stuff for modern guns. But a lot of my passion lies with the older stuff too.
0: Yeah, well, World War
1: 2, whatever like yeah. that. Any of that stuff is really really fascinating to me. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, hopefully you'll start making some ultralight hunting
1: products. You know, we were talking about that. It's uh Yeah, it's maybe
0: achievable, maybe
1: not. Yeah, it's it's you're only going to go so light with whatever you have. Then you have to have recoil management cuz now you're dealing with a, a weapon going off so you want to have a certain caliber then you have a muzzle brake. then you have the downside okay this muzzle brake super efficient but also blow your drums out which is funny so we shoot out in the desert and uh guys will show up with like a muzzle brake on a rifle and uh another guy shoot with his funny this guy has a scar 17 with the factory muzzle brake, which is literally insane and he's shooting and he's shooting you know 50 yards away from us and it, it's just so loud so he said he said i tell you what he told the guy he says I want you to shoot one round with your ear pro off. One round. The guy wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Cuz he knows he's going to be deaf for life. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're wrong. You're automatically wrong cuz what if you got to use that gun in your house or something? You're you're gone cuz we blood yeah. coming out of your ears. Yeah. Dude, take it off. So I'm not like a, I, I I'm, I'm not into muzzle brakes. Yeah. Only unless they're necessary. That's one of my pet peeves. Right. If only use a muzzle brake if you need it for the weapon. Like my 338 has an efficient muzzle brake mm-hmm. because it's a lightweight weapon. And without it, it would probably suck to shoot. <laughs> so I have a muzzle brake on that. But then I make the concession and I'm going to have ear protection. And when I hunt with it, with for deer, I've got electronic ear pro. You know, I've got that all set up. But that's kind of one of my, it, as a, like an it, industry beef, is muzzle brakes on everything, which is completely necessary, unnecessarily loud. It's like a, a, you know, and if you're shooting with your friends, no, nah, it's not, it's not cool, but other than that, you know.
0: Right on, man. Well, we'll end it there. Yeah, why not? That's a good podcast. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at theflipflopguy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button.